and welcome to the first episode on the Incandescent Radio of a new show, Money Mountaineering with actuary Peter Newirth, FSA, FCA, entitled What's Your Future Worth? I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, producer of the podcast network, IncandescentRadio.com and Incandescent TV, and thrilled to be here with you, Pete. Welcome. Well, thanks a lot, Hope. Me, me too. I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Yeah, so I'm so thrilled we're going to have this new show for you. We had the honor of creating PeterNewworth.com, the new version of your website. So hold up your books. Tell people who you are. Well, I'm, I'm Pete Newworth, and, and I'm an actuary, which... Some people know what that is and others don't, but I think it's an important thing for everybody to know about because the actuarial perspective is pretty important and can be very, very useful as you kind of make your way through life. Yeah, absolutely. So tell what actually is an actuary? Well, there's lots of different definitions. The one, the one I like is an actuary is that person who determines what the current financial implications are of future contingent events. Basically, it's someone who factors in time, risk, and money into the decisions and the evaluation of what you're looking at, you know, helps you make better choices. Yeah, I think a lot of people are still confused, even when you explain it, which is why you wrote your book. So tell us about that. Hold it up. (laughs) Tell us about that first book. What's your future worth? Tell us the backstory of that. And people have been asking you forever, what's an actuary? And so you wrote this book to explain it. I I get that. I I wrote my book for the same reason. So (laughs) tell us more. Well, I was a corporate consultant. I was a pension consultant for for 40 years. And towards the end of that career as an actuary, helping big companies evaluate their pensions, make better choices as to how to design and finance and and administer their their uh, retirement plans, um, I started to just think about how the actuarial perspective and and the work I've done for forty years has helped me make better decisions, financial and otherwise, and thought, well, this is something that everybody can use. And so I started writing down my thoughts and Pretty soon after a few years, actually a couple of years of just writing every morning, I realized I had a book. And um, fortunately enough, Barrett Kohler uh, thought it was worth publishing. And in, in 2014, I guess, they published uh, What's Your Future Worth? And um, it's about how the actuarial perspective can help you make better life decisions, whether whether it's, um, should I buy that new car? Should I um, save more for, put more money into my 401k? Should I stop working for a while and and go back to school? Should I, when should I retire? How much should I be putting aside? And, you know, should I buy a house? What should I do with the house? Should I refinance that house to maybe, do some other things with it. So, yeah, it's all the big life questions, right? And you help people figure it out with data. So let's talk a little bit about your career. 
You graduated from Harvard in 1979 with a degree in math and linguistics, and then you went to work at Connecticut General Life Insurance, which is now Cigna. And then for like four decades, you have been an actuary and have done really remarkable work. So tell us, as a little boy, <laughs> did you want to grow up to be an actuary? And what was the path that led you to where we are right now today? Well, as, as, a, as a kid, I was always fascinated by the future. And I used to read science fiction uh, all the time. And my most favorite book was uh, the Foundation Trilogy. And in there, there was this there were these people called psychohistorians who would predict the future and and then try to steer human events to um, to come to make a better future for everyone. And so that's what I wanted to be when I grew up was a psychohistorian, somebody who could predict the future and plan for the future. Well, I learned pretty pretty early on that you can't predict the future and. Um, then I went to college and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. But uh, as I when I as I came to the end of my college career, uh, I was starting to look around for for various jobs. And there was a job that would pay me to take math tests. And I was really good at math and really good at taking math tests. And I thought, well, this has got to be a great job um, for me. And it was, and it and it it happened to be just exactly what I was, I don't know, felt I was born to do, and that's what I've been doing for forty five years or so. That's so cool. <laughs> Someone who loves to take math tests. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a, you come by this naturally. Your dad is a pretty famous mathematician. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, he's um. He, he he would he would uh, recoil at the notion of being uh, the, of, of anybody calling him famous, but he's a really really good mathematician, and he's a he's a knot theorist and a topologist, and 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 uh, at Princeton he was at Princeton University, and what he did was uh, he, he helped uh, help the government uh, break secret codes. I mean he he was essentially the uh, head of the research and development arm of the code-breaking uh, uh, facility in for the for the government and uh, consequently he always was not just using math but trying to separate the signal from the noise and so I think that's what I picked up from him not just a way of looking at the world mathematically but also a desire to sort through the data and figure out what's really going on. And so um, he's, you know, that uh, that legacy is, has served me well. That's amazing. You know, but a minute ago, you said you can't really predict the future. Now, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about some stuff that have happened and has happened in your life that you couldn't have predicted, like the fires in California. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, as I as I said in Money Mountaineering, um, which is all about making good financial decisions, um, part of the part of what you want to do in life is to prepare for financial forest fires that might consume your your assets or destroy your income or your job or your career, and be ready for whatever un, unforeseen calamity might might occur 
never thinking that I actually would be subject to a real forest fire because I live I live out in the uh, backwoods of uh, Sonoma County in California and uh, in in 2020 um, my house burned down in one of the uh, the most recent of the of the many fires that have have plagued our our state that taught me a lot I mean it taught me an awful lot about what's really important and what's not important when it comes to your possessions, your assets, your things, and how things are not just of monetary value. Of course, everybody knows that there's th some things have sentimental value, and, and, but, it's, but it's a mix. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real complicated uh, way that everybody values what's important to them. And, and I learned a lot about what's important to me in terms of the material in, in my life. But I also learned that relationships and the connections you make to others are vital in, for your, for your well being. So I've, I've got a different attitude on money and on the, the value of the things in my life now. So I guess that's sort of the biggest thing that I've picked up from the from the fires, but I've I've written it pretty extensively about uh, about the fires on my on my website. So yes, and we invite people to check out peternewworth.com and the essays section. Really beautifully articulated and really important. Hold up that book. What's your money mountaineering that you just referenced? This is this is your second book, and tell us a little bit more about that. Well, my first book, as I said, was about how to use the actuarial perspective to kind of navigate through life, to, to evaluate the possibilities, to think about how you value the future versus the, the present, and then make the choices based on what's the best present value for the, for the path that you're, you're considering. And, um, you know, that, that book did, did fine. And I got a chance to talk to a lot of groups about, and share, share my perspective. But the questions that kept coming up again and again and again is, how do I make better decisions with respect to my money? How much should I be saving for my 401k? When should I retire? Should I take a lump sum? Should I take an annuity? What, what should I be doing in terms of my job? Should I be changing, you know, should I be taking this higher paying job or should I stick where I am and earn a a longer, longer pension. And so I decided that I would write another book. And this book, I would focus just on money because money is just such a complicated, confusing and befuddling subject to so many people. And I realized that that's really what was on most of the people that would that were at least I was talking to. And so um, that's why I wrote Money Mountaineering, which is basically looking at the world of money as it's as a as a wilderness that you've got to make your way through. I mean, it's it's incredibly complicated. Nobody really understands all the different um products and services that are out there and the relationships of, of uh, one market to another market and stocks and ETFs and options and so on and so forth. It's just too complicated for, for people. And you just don't know how it's going to change. So you could invest in something and, and, and 
you just don't know what the markets are going to do. You don't know how the economy is going to change. You don't know how your life is going to change and your relationship to money. So in addition to that, you've got all kinds of people giving you advice and trying to tell you what, what, what to do with your money. And some of them know what they're doing. A lot of them don't. Not all of them have your best interests at heart. So it's not just complex, not just uncertain, and not just, it's noisy. There's lots of people trying to tell you what to do. And on top of all that, we're just not programmed to do that. We haven't evolved to choose between fixed and variable rate mortgages, between ETFs and, and index funds, or, or all of the other kinds of financial decisions one has to make to actually survive in the world of money. And so that's why I set out to write the second book, which is really almost a trail map and a, and a guide to how to navigate through that wilderness. Yes, and I love that book. You have six principles outlined on your website, also in the essays section. And I find that really helpful because it's a guide as you read the book. So hold those books up again. I, we really encourage people to pick up these two books, Money Mountaineering and What's Your Future Worth? Because they give you this backstory so that you can help make better decisions for yourself. So I love all that. Let's talk next about what you're working on now. Okay, well... What I'm what I'm working on now is is uh, what's called the decumulation problem. In over the last 10, 15, 20 years, actually, you've seen the world of money change in the sense that it used to be that when you worked for a for a company, you would get a pension. They, they used to talk about the three-legged stool, social security. The company provided pension and your own savings as the bedrock of financial security and, and retirement. Well, that's just not the way it is anymore. Right now, there are no defined benefit plans, there are very few defined benefit plans. Social security may be there, but people are pretty much on their own to live for the rest of their life on whatever they've accumulated at the time they decided to stop working. And that's called the decumulation problem. How do you take a sum of money or a, a bunch of assets and use those assets, decumulate them in a way that you can live sustainably for the rest of your life? And that is a problem that um, really hasn't been adequately addressed in the past. I mean, you know, banks, insurance companies, investment firms, advisors of all sorts, financial planners have all focused on how do you accumulate enough money to retire with. But very, very few of them focus on what is the best way to make that money last for as long as you live. And so that's what I've been focused on for the last uh, at least a couple of years. And I've collaborate with, with Barry Sachs and, and some other um, really brilliant researchers in trying to uh, address that problem. And, and, and the reason it's such a gnarly problem is that there are some risks in decumulation that don't exist while you're saving for, for your retirement. For one thing, 
you don't know how long you're going to live. So longevity risk is a big problem. You, you, You might have enough to last 20 years or 30 years, but what if you live 35 years? What are you going to do? There's also other sort of technical risks that people haven't really addressed, one of which is sequence of returns, and another is what I call unpredictable contingent expense. You retire, and let's say you've got a nice nest egg, and you're you know, gradually drawing that down and paying your bills, and then suddenly the house needs a new roof, or um, you're, somebody in your family has a health crisis that's not covered by your health insurance, and suddenly you have a huge expense. So what happens during the phase when you're decumulating or drawing down your assets is you have a cash flow set of cash flow requirements that is itself unpredictable. And so that's where my research is focused right now is how can you mitigate and protect and adapt and be ready for those kinds of risks after you've retired. So it's really interesting what you're digging into because it's it's relatively new, I would think. I mean, I'm sure people forever have had this issue, but now that people are living longer and money is a different thing. Um, so what what's your perspective on it in terms of legacy and how everything is playing out in today's new, new world? Well, I mean, the, the, the first important message is that you, you got to take care of it yourself. I mean, you can't, you're not going to be able to um, rely on institutions or other, other entities to take care of you as, as, you know, perhaps in the past you have. So there needs to be a a real kind of uh, self, self empowerment, um, an attitude of self-reliance that, that, that comes from. And um, what I think it's really important is to, is to look at what you've got, look at what you need and look at what you want. And when I say look at what you got, you have you of course many people many people have a 401k and they've got a portfolio of assets um, and they also often have a house. So for many people, the house that they own when they re- as they're looking at retirement is maybe more valuable than their 401k. So using your house, the equity in your house, using your 401k or your your savings, supplementing it by things like social security and other other insurance that you might have is what you got, what you got to do. You got to sort of cobble together a strategy that can effectively pay for the, for what you need. And one of the most important assets people don't think of, and that's why I kind of ask people to think a little bit broadly, is the value of future earnings. So you could work part-time, you could find other ways to generate, because what retirement is, is is fundamentally a, a, a cash flow matching problem, matching the cash that your assets can generate or you can generate with what you need and the and the and the cash requirements that you're going to have in the future and what um, and how those cash needs might change and so that's that's really what I'm working on and, and the and, and money mountaineering will get you started but you know I'm working with other uh, Barry Sachs and others to refine that 
formula a little bit. Yeah. So I want you to tell the audience a little bit about Barry because he'll be a guest on your show in an upcoming episode. And also talk a little bit about this concept of what reverse mortgages is, because that's also important in your research. Sure. So um, I met Barry about 25 years ago. Um, Barry is a, he's a, uh, he was a, he was a physicist, a quantum mechanics was his, uh, was his, uh, his uh, area field of study. And he was, uh, he was on the way to becoming a tenured professor at Berkeley and decided that he wanted to change careers and became a, a tax lawyer and and an ERISA attorney. And uh, simply because he was, he was more interested in that. And um, maybe it was more helpful to the world, I guess. But whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, uh, Barry and I ended up working on the same client. I was an actuary for the same client that he was the, the attorney for. And when we met, um, you know, it was pretty obvious to me that Barry was a brilliant and very, very creative guy who had plenty of ideas uh, that ranged far beyond um, what we were working on. And one of those ideas was how to use a reverse mortgage to supplement your income in retirement, to essentially begin to chip away at that decumulation problem, where recognizing that for most people, what they've accumulated in their 401k is not enough to live on for the rest of their lives. But if you supplement that with what you have accumulated in your house, you can. And so Barry, in I guess it was a little more than 10 years ago, uh, wrote a just an absolutely groundbreaking paper um, identifying a strategy where you could take out a reverse mortgage on your house, which is a very underappreciated, under, little understood type of loan and use that loan to supplement your 401k in a very um, algorithmic way that can be proven to allow you to live at a higher standard of living and still not exhaust all your your assets. And um, so when I read that paper, you know, I got very excited and I talk with Barry and then we we started to refine it and you know I had some ideas as to how we could extend his idea and and then we wrote another paper about 3 or 4 years ago about how to extend the use of that what we call the coordinated strategy to use a reverse mortgage and your 401k to live on comfortably uh, for for the rest of your life and and a reverse mortgage is as i say it's 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 basically like a credit line that you like a let you would take out on your on your home, except it's it it differs in in two very very important respects. First of all, three maybe. First of all, you don't have to pay back the loan. The interest doesn't. Uh, you don't have to pay it. It just accrues and adds to the to the loan balance and doesn't come due until until and unless you sell the house or at least you you move out of the house. In addition, you never have to pay back more than you borrow. So a lot of people think reverse mortgages are a bad idea because you you take out a reverse mortgage and then 
you know, you die or, or, or you have to move out and the bank takes the house. Well, that's just not true. The government guarantees that you will never have to pay back more than the house is worth. In addition to that, that credit line, unlike a normal credit line, grows. So if I, if I take out a reverse mortgage or a reverse mortgage credit line for $100,000 um, and don't draw on it, Next year, it, it will be, I'll have $105,000 I could draw that down. Or, and then the year after that, $110,000. So this is a credit line that grows in terms of your capacity to draw on it. You don't have to pay interest back until you actually repay the loan. And no matter how big the loan balance gets, you will never owe more than the house is worth. And that's, that's a kind of loan that is very different than the kind of loans that our gen people generally get, whether they're traditional mortgages or credit card debt or or just lines of credit that they that they draw. It's so fascinating, and it, I mean, when I've heard reverse mortgage for years, it was always like, oh, it's a bad idea. But y'all are explaining it in a way where it's really fascinating, and that is just one of the topics you're going to be talking about on this new podcast and video show through incandescent. And I'm so excited to have you on as one of our hosts and this series with this amazing information. So before we let you go, tell the audience just what you're working on right now and what you're super excited about. Well, as I say, I'm what I'm what I'm excited about is to is to make more progress on the on the decumulation problem. Um, and one of the one of the one of the big problems with the way, you know, financial advisors and investment everybody, theoreticians even, and people who've written papers in the past have addressed the decumulation problem is they've assumed a sort of constant budgeting. And that's not the way it works. As I said before, you might end up having to, you know, have to pay for a new roof in the middle. And that, that sort of risk has never really been modeled in a theoretical way. In addition, I don't think the longevity risk has been modeled as well as it could have been because longevity risk is a is a funny kind of risk you know when you when we th when we think about how long we're going to live um you know we might say oh yeah my 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 parents live to their into their mid 80s so i can assume that's about where i'm going to live and maybe that's true maybe you're going to die sooner but so then you retire at 65 let's say and you and you're still thinking well i've got about 20 25 years to go and then you get to 75 and you're still healthy and you think wow maybe i'm going to live to 90 95 do i have enough money so longevity risk is a is a is a risk that actuaries and others have looked about looked at for many many years but what they i don't think they've really focused in is how that risk gets more acute as you get older so the older you get while you're healthier the more acute that risk is and that's that's sort of what that's a lot of what I'm going to I'm looking Barry and I are, are now looking at is the nature of these unique risks in decumulation 
certainly sounds like what you thought of doing as a little boy is what you're doing now. Yes. <laughs> it's very exciting. And it's thrilling to have this uh, thoughtful research-based information that we're sharing with the public on YouTube and through all of our channels. So you will be on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and iTunes, in addition to Incandescent and PeterNewith.com. So thank you, Pete, for being part of our family. It's really wonderful to have you and your big brain part of <laughs> what we're doing. Well, and thank you, Hope, because I really appreciate all of the, uh, just, you know, the way that you've helped me get my ideas out because they're not easy and they're not, they're not, they're not simple and, but, but they're important. And I think they will help people live and thrive before up to and during retirement and perhaps be able to leave a legacy to those that they leave behind. That's beautiful. And I'm certain that everyone would love for to have that in their lives. So you're going to teach us how. Okay. <laughs> so to our audience, thank you so much. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of the Incandescent Radio Network and Incandescent TV here with Peter Newworth, the first episode of his show, What's Your Future Worth? Money Mountaineering. So go get those books, check it out, and we will see you very soon on Pete's new show. Thanks again. Have a great day. 